0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week with more than a news. My name is Sadie.
1: And I'm Stani. And thanks, everyone, for being here. I'm excited about this one, but I'm also really, really nervous. <laughs> Well, I'll just like tell you right off the bat, we're talking about Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Bell, who are actually sisters. So I figured we'll do both of them because their careers and obviously personal lives overlap a ton. And Vanessa Bell isn't very well known, but I feel like everyone at least knows Virginia Woolf's name.
0: Yeah, I know Virginia Woolf. I truthfully don't know the other one, though. So uh,
1: the hard part is so disclaimer right off the bat, because we're, we're just jumping right into this. Um, this was probably one of the hardest ones I've ever tried to research. And it was because of two things. First off, there is a ton of information about Virginia Woolf, which mm-hmm. probably the most information I've ever found for a single person I've tried to cover on the podcast, which meant that I spent a lot of time sifting through stuff to try and figure out which was the most important things to say. And then the second part of it was, for as much information there was about Virginia Woolf, there was a short paragraph about Vanessa Bell. <laughs> so honestly, a lot of my time reading Virginia Woolf stuff was trying to find more out about her sister, which there actually was more on Virginia Wolf's Wikipedia page about her sister than there was on her sister's Wikipedia page on Vanessa Bell's, which is annoying, but like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about both of them. because,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I well, like I said, I have no idea who Vanessa Bell is. I yeah. truly have not heard that name, so I'm excited for that.
1: Yes, so kind of what inspired this is I ran across an article about Vanessa Bell, and mm-hmm. you know how in um I'm trying to remember what episode it was, you brought up Judy Chicago's dinner party? Yeah. And I was talking a little bit about that. Um so there was actually an article uh, apparently I'm being spied on because immediately after we recorded that episode, an article an article called Before Judy Chicago's Dinner Party, there was Vanessa Bell and I was like, "What?
0: Like something was <laughs> listening to our conversation."
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, But basically, Vanessa Bell and Duncan Grant, who will talk about more, made a set of dinner plates celebrating 50 historical women, Mm. which is amazing. They're like hand-painted porcelain, very pretty, amazing, cool, like, work of art that I had never even heard of before. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Like, obviously, I'm very interested in celebrating historical women hence yeah. why we're here. And so I was like, oh, like, this is so cool. Like, we should talk about this. I was like, oh, I'll do Vanessa Bell. And then I realized she's the sister of Virginia Woolf. And I was like, oh, that adds a whole other layer to this. <laughs> yeah. So it's crazy. There's a lot about Virginia Woolf. There's not a lot about Vanessa Bell. I'm going to try to balance out the two. And then on top of that, this is just like a trigger warning right off the bat. Um, If you know anything about Virginia Woolf's personal history at all, you know that there's a lot of mental illness involved and she actually died by suicide. So I am going to talk about a bit of that. I'm trying to constrain it to certain chunks so that it's not throughout the entire episode. So I'll warn you before I talk about that in hopes that like if that's triggering, you can just skip that part and still listen to the rest of the episode. Um, There's also one other part that I will be talking about, sexual abuse and assault, So, and that's for both of the sisters. Horrible childhoods. Anyway, so um, I will confine that to one section as well, as much as I can, so that you can skip, and um, if that's triggering for you as well. Kind of hard, (laughs) because it was definitely throughout their lives and everything, so...
0: Yeah, I'm, like, realizing in this moment that as you're like, oh, if you know anything about her history, then this. And I've now, in this moment, realized I know nothing, then, about her history, so...
1: I didn't either. I definitely... I haven't read any of her books. Did you? I don't think I have, no. Yeah, I was even trying to find, like, a list of what they were, because I feel like she'd be one that they'd have us read in school, since they always had us read super depressing stuff in school. But I was in, like, the international English class, so we read, like, books from Germany and France or something instead, and she was English. So I don't know if that made a difference in what we read. I don't remember reading by her either. I really just know her name. I know. Her name has been thrown around a lot, but I didn't know a ton about her either. And it's kind of hard because as much as I read about her, I still feel like I don't know a lot, which is weird. Like I said, I consumed so much information and I just like, I don't know, this one's weird for me. Like, I still feel a little lost. So I don't know, everyone. Like, maybe this one's going to take a little bit more, like... (laughs) personal recollection after like i don't processing know. Yeah. yeah like i don't know if it was just like so much information that i like i'm overwhelmed don't be able to pull it together and this will be fine but like <laughs> i don't know this was a lot so i don't know anything you want to say before we get started
0: no i mean i feel like though we're just doing our best here right mm-hmm. to explain information and tell these stories so you know don't worry yeah. about it no
1: stress we're no definitely
0: we're just doing what we can but i, I i'm very intrigued now. yeah I'm excited i mean to learn anything about her
1: yeah to be fair there's like scholars who have dedicated entire careers to just studying virginia wolf so
0: so to sum it up in an hour-long podcast episode is a little <laughs> difficult,
1: yeah sure. plus throwing in her obscure but also extremely talented sister so um, yes. so we're going to try this. <laughs> so um, Virginia Wolf and Vanessa Bell were originally Virginia and Vanessa Stevens. And they were the daughters of Julia Jackson and Leslie Steven. And their parents have like very interesting histories as well. Like half of the Wikipedia page for Virginia Woolf and the early life part mm-hmm. was just talking about her parents because of the roles that they played in society. So her mother was actually, like, a part of this very well-known, very well-esteemed family. Um, Her maiden name was Paddle, so Julia Paddle, and they were known for their beauty, so they moved Mm -hmm. about society with, like, a level of class that can only be given to people that are just extremely beautiful. Um, And there were seven of them. So there were seven paddle sisters and all of them ended up making extremely well-off marriages, which makes sense if they were beautiful and like in high society. And among their ranks were a few like famous names. So her aunt was actually Julia Margaret Cameron, who is a famous photographer. And I'm actually really excited to learn more about her in the future as well. Apparently she was a pioneer in like portrait photography and like one of the few female photographers at the time, which is interesting. And then there also was Earl Summers, who was like a famous politician. Um, Lady Henry Somerset, who actually led the temperance movement. So early feminist there. Another, a politician named Henry Thoby, who their mom Julia spent most of her early life with. And he had a artistic and literary salon called Little Holland House. Where mm. Julia actually came into contact with like a lot of pre raphaelite painters and ended up modeling for a lot of them. So she's like the model wow. in a couple of artistic pieces, which is crazy and just starts off this whole artistic family. <laughs> so their mother married a man named Herbert Duckworth first. He was a barrister. And then within three years, he actually passed away, and she had three infant children left with her. So three kids within three years, and then he died, and she was left as a widow. So obviously she was devastated. She's single and, like, raising these children, and so she, like, returned to a lot of like philanthropy work and like abandoned her faith kind of and was just like going through it. But those three children were George, Stella and Gerald Duckworth. And then their father, so Virginia and Vanessa's father, Leslie Stephen, he actually was also in like very well-off, well-known family, but kind of more of like the evangelical Christian side of it all. And so they were kind of known for very different things. However, one of his family members was also responsible for the passage of the slavery abolition bill. So they had like progressive family members on either side. Like we're talking feminists, slavery, abolition, early photographers and artists. Like it was kind of this like very influential genealogy. And so he actually ended up marrying a woman named Harriet Marion Thackeray, who was actually the youngest daughter of a novelist and illustrator. And they had a daughter together named Laura, but his wife died in childbirth. So then he was also widowed. So that kind of goes on. Like, they both had a previous marriage, then they were both widowed. And he was kind of, even though his family was high society, he preferred to be more of, like, a mountaineer. So he liked to go hiking a lot, and he was an intellectual and wrote a lot of books, but was kind of more of like a... He preferred to be on the outskirts of high society rather than right in the middle of it. The widows met each other through a family member's friend or something. And Julia became interested in Leslie because he was writing things about... He had agnostic writings, and she, of course, after abandoning her faith, Leslie had kind of done the same, they bonded over this, like, lack of faith after growing up Christian, I guess. Okay, yeah. And they were actually living next to each other because when his wife died, he obviously had this infant daughter with no mother, and Laura wanted to make sure that his daughter had some companionship with her children. She apparently had met him, like, right before his wife passed away. So most of their companionship and everything was when they were both widows. But it was his early stages. While they were, like, both kind of in a period of mourning they were really close friends with each other because they were leaning on each other a lot for similar experiences. And then um, they agreed together that it was going to go no further than that. But Leslie proposed her in 1877 and she declined. But then when the friend who introduced them got married later that year, she accepted him and then they were married in 1878. So at the time that they got married, Julia was 32 and Leslie was 46. Which seems like a big age gap, but I I think back then it probably wasn't yeah also like they're both adults <laughs> Mm-hmm. okay so then they're a blended family which means that they have three kids from her previous marriage one daughter mm-hmm. from his previous marriage and then they ended up having their first child vanessa on may 30th 1879 and then they're like okay now we've had a kid together we have five children in total to take care of so julie is like let's be done having kids five is good We're done. However, despite the fact that the couple took precautions, which was in quotes, because I don't know exactly what kind of precautions you can take in 18th century England, contraception wasn't like perfected. I don't know what they had going on. But so that's what I'm like. I don't think that they could just pop a pill or. Uh-uh. So there was no IUDs. No. I don't even know if condoms were necessarily a thing. I Maybe know. That's what I was some wondering. Extent, but I have no idea what precautions that would have been. Obviously, it didn't work because they ended up having three more children in the next four years. So. Oh, nice. Didn't work. Um, Virginia Wolf was next. And her birth name is actually Adeline Virginia Stephen. And she was born on January 25th. 1882 she was named after her mother's eldest sister adeline maria jackson and then her mother's aunt virginia paddle but because of her aunt adeline's death the previous year and it was like a huge tragedy they never used her first name of adeline so she went by virginia her whole life and then they also had a brother thoby who was born in 1880 and another brother adrian who was born in 1883 And then they also had their half sister, Laura, from their father's previous marriage. And then, of course, her mother's two sons and daughter from her previous marriage, George and Gerald and Stella. Big blended family living in a small house, actually. They lived in a little townhome and um, there's a lot of writings. If you want to read about every house she's ever lived in, for some reason, they have the address and the description of every single house. So if that's something you're interested in. Wow, it's so all there. a
0: lot of information about Virginia Woolf. <laughs>
1: yes, like you could go on a Virginia Woolf tour of England and literally visit every single house she ever lived in. Wow. And I think a lot of it's preserved as well. So there's definitely a lot of information about where they lived. But they lived in this townhome and apparently they had to like add on to it because they didn't have enough room for a family of like eight kids, two adults. Plus they were pretty well off, so they had servants. So tiny house, lots of people. And um, it kind of became like this like hodgepodge mess of like creativity and like books and art and everything else within this tiny little place. In February 1891, Vanessa and Virginia began to create like their own little magazine. and they called it the Hyde Park Gate News. And they would chronicle like the lives and events within their own family and write like little articles. And their brother, Thoby, joined in, which is cute. And uh, it was mainly like Vanessa and Thoby's invention at the beginning. But then Virginia became like the main contributor and Vanessa went to be more of an editor. And their mother and father like really encouraged it and helped along that whole endeavor. So then Vanessa actually ended up doing a portrait of her sister and parents in the library during this time. And it was written about very lovingly. So it was a portrait of Virginia and her mom and dad together by her sister, which is very sweet. And then a lot of conflict also happened during this time. Obviously with a family that big, multiple different life stages as well. Because you have, by the time Virginia and Vanessa and their siblings came along, everyone else was a lot older. Their fathers daughter so their half sister Laura um, she had a lot of mental problems and actually ended up being institutionalized in 1891 and stayed there permanently until her death I couldn't find out a whole lot about what was wrong with her but she was just dealing with a lot then the sisters themselves Vanessa and Virginia even though they were really close and stayed close their whole lives they definitely had a lot of like conflict with one another as well they were three years apart in age And Virginia often called her older sister the saint and was a little bit upset about how reserved and proper Virginia, I mean, Vanessa, could be because Virginia really resented Victorian tradition and, like, the Mm. constraints against females a lot more than Vanessa did. So she kind of saw it as a betrayal, I think, in a lot of ways. And this was especially because the family didn't believe in higher education for women. So even though they believed in, like, Educating their daughters. They didn't believe in like sending them off to school. Obviously, their brothers were all going off to private schools and private institutions to be educated, and then the girls were all educated within their home. Virginia and Vanessa kind of created this like rivalry between each other because they were both creatives, like writing and art. And so there was some like competition throughout their lives as well because of that, especially during their childhood. And then within their home, their education that they received was mainly from governesses and tutors and their parents so Julia taught the children Latin French and history while their father Leslie taught them mathematics and then they also received piano lessons and then something that was kind of a rarity that a lot of other families didn't get at the time was that Leslie opened his library to them And said that they could read whatever they wanted in it. And they said that that was kind of usually something that would be constrained to a lot of other girls at the time. Like, you wouldn't expect a 15-year-old girl to have full access to her father's library. But he... Fully believed that they could read whatever they wanted to. The girls also benefited from their brothers being educated. And their brothers introduced them to a lot of their friends that they met in college and everything else. And this would continue like lifelong education pursuits and everything that comes after. So it made a very big difference on them. Um, Virginia obviously started writing at a very early age. She was writing letters and telling her father stories every single night. And her, Vanessa, and Adrian, their other brother, actually started inventing a serial about their next-door neighbors, like a little story, and then telling it to everyone. And then Vanessa had her early talent for art, and she took drawing lessons from Ebenezer, Ebenezer Cook as a young child. And then um, they also benefited a lot from their father's friends. A ton of poets, philosophers, their mother's aunt, who was the photographer, all would come and visit the home and they would talk with the children and they gained a lot of knowledge and development from them as well. After all of that, they were able to pursue some high education. So Virginia took some courses at the ladies department of king's college in london in like ancient greek latin and german and then like english history and classic literature Mm -hmm. and then vanessa also enrolled at the ladies department and took a few courses there before she attended sir arthur copes art school in 1896 and then studied painting at the prestigious royal academy in 1901 Um, and then during this time period their brother Toby went to trinity in 1899 and he befriended a circle of young men whose names are probably going to sound familiar including clive bell light and stretchy leonard Wolfe, and saxon sydney turner so obviously the sisters would go on to marry their brothers college yes. friends <laughs> so got it <laughs> yeah so those connections became very important um in 1895 their mother um got sick with influenza and never properly recovered and passed away. And this kind of became a pivotal moment for Virginia and started off a lot of her mental illness, which we will talk about a little bit later. Um, Their half-sister, Stella Duckworth, returned to take charge and assume the role as the lady of the house. However, shortly after she was engaged and married, she also passed away. And this also kind of caused... Uh, Another mental relapse for Virginia. That was very hard for her. So, this time period was just really, really rough. Um, Also, during this time, their older brother, George Duckworth, took it upon himself to bring them out to society, both Vanessa and Virginia. Apparently, it didn't go well. In both cases, they called it an equal disaster. Neither of the girls were interested in being a part of society, and they didn't really have any interest and didn't take it seriously enough virginia was mad about everyone not caring about any of her intellectual pursuits and from mm. the sound of it vanessa just really didn't care like <laughs> she had no desire to get married at that time period and so okay. it just didn't really work okay and then i'm going to talk about the sexual abuse here so skip ahead if you don't want to hear it so during her lifetime virginia Woolf publicly stated multiple times that when she was a child she'd been sexually abused by her half-brother gerald duckworth and then after the death of her father, both her and her sister, Vanessa Bell, had been abused over a period of five years by their other half-brother, George. So that oh. means that Gerald and George both abused their half-sisters for quite a long time, probably longer than either of us, any of us know. Because Vanessa yeah. never like publicly stated other than to confirm, so who knows when it started for her either. Um, They were 9 and 14 years older than their half-sisters. And because of that chaotic, crazy house I told you about, they didn't have a lot of supervision. Their mother believed a lot in philanthropy and, like, charity work. And their father was constantly working on his, like, Dictionary of National Biography that was his life's work. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: um, there is a moment they said that George ended up setting up separate bedrooms for his half-sisters. And no one questioned it. And a lot of that could mm. be so that he could do whatever he wanted without either one of them interfering. However, the sad part about this is that a lot of people don't believe these like claims. They believe that it was fantasized by Virginia Woolf because they thought she was crazy. And oh. that it was all just a part of her delusions from her per- nervous breakdown later in life. Um, however a lot of people have said that they think that it actually could have been what contributed to
0: yeah wait so are you saying that people at the time don't believe her or people now think that's oh
1: yeah there's still like a lot of debate like even on both of them Vanessa and Virginia's pages it said like both of them claimed to have been abused so it's like instead of it saying like both of them were it's like they claimed to wow okay Mm -hmm. yeah which is really sad if it like because if it okay i'm gonna say it did happen because i think like if she said it happened i think it did and um the fact that vanessa kind of backed her up from what i can tell i think that it definitely did um so think that it contributed to a lot of the problems that she had later in life with her mental health and even both of them within their personal relationships. I think it like made a very big mark Mm -hmm. um, on them. And so I think it actually explains a lot more than it would like.
0: Well, that's what the idea of being like, oh, she just made it up because she's crazy. But like you said, it's like or maybe like she was dealing with the repercussions of that her whole life, which made her, you know, quote unquote go crazy you know like maybe that was the catalyst
1: exactly because that's a lot to carry like plus like so have that throughout your early life then your half-sister gets institutionalized so you're like great on top of that then like your mother passes away and then your sister passes away and then you're left kind of in the care of these people that abused you like that's a lot to handle yeah so I fully believe that it happened Um, They're not sure if it also happened to any of the other sisters. They're assuming it didn't happen to Stella since she was older. However, they do wonder about their other half-sister who was institutionalized, if any of that would have happened to her as well. So, yeah. Both of the sisters kind of endured that from their half-brothers, which is awful and disgusting. So, that's that part of it, which yeah I think just seeps into a lot of the rest of the story which is why I covered it now but so then shortly after this their father passes away so they are like anxious to get out of this home um the Stephen siblings were like oh let's go like tragic memories our parents are gone we don't want anything to do with George and Gerald anymore like the two Mm -hmm. Duckworth brothers and so they're old enough and they decide to leave and move to Bloomsbury However, George was like, oh, I'll come with you, which none of them were happy about because he decided he was like the parent now because their father and mother were gone and then Mm -hmm. Stella had passed away. So he was like, oh, like I'm your quasi parent. So he came with them. However, shortly after he met Lady Margaret Herbert, he proposed to her and then moved with her and got married and luckily that left the Stephen siblings all on their own which they were thrilled about. This kind of begins the part of like the Bloomsbury group which is what Vanessa and Virginia are both famous for being a part of and being like a fundamental part of. Bloomsbury was like this bohemian area of England and while they were living in this like apartment all together They ended up finding this group of friends, all from college and all sorts of things. A lot of those being Thobie's intellectual friends we talked about before. Um, And they started gathering together and just talking about different intellectual topics. And this became known as the Thursday Club and also would end up being known as the Bloomsbury Group. And it was basically a circle of writers and artists I'm including John Maynard Keyes, Duncan Grant, E.M. Forster, Roger Fry, Leonard Wolfe, Dana Garnett, Clive Bell, Desmond McCarthy, Saxon Sidney Turner, Lytton Strachey. I don't know a ton of these names, but I'm assuming they're important. So um, also during this time, so they're all talking with each other. They're like traveling. They're experiencing things like having these intellectual discussions. Clive Bell proposed to Vanessa for the first time. And she declined. Um, (laughs) Virginia began teaching evening lessons at Morley College. And then Vanessa added another event and started the Friday Club, which was, um, instead of more of an intellectual discussion, was more of like a fine arts discussion and included a lot of her friends from the Royal Academy as well into that group. Then Virginia would join in on both as well and met some people that ended up playing an important part in her life, including Catherine Laird Cox. And then they started kind of, like, intermingling with each other, and they also ended up meeting a group of Cambridge intellectuals called the Neo-Pagans, which I will talk about in just a second. (laughs) Also during this time period, Virginia and Vanessa lost their brother, Toby, or Thobe, who was only 26, who died of typhoid fever after they took a trip to Greece. And then shortly after he passed away, Vanessa accepted Clive's third proposal and finally married him. (laughs) He was persistent.
0: I was going to say, like, okay. (laughs)
1: Um, They were married in February 1907. And they had, like, uh, their main interest together was just, like, avant-garde art. They ended up having two sons together, Julian, who died in 1937 during the Spanish Civil War at the age of 29. So very young. And another song named Quentin. Um, Even though she took her husband's name, Vanessa Bell's marriage wasn't conventional, especially during the time. They had an open marriage, which Mm. I don't know entirely how it worked. Both her and her husband had multiple lovers. Um, Her first included a longtime relationship with the critic Roger Fry, who had done a show on post-impressionism and had really influenced her work. And then her second was a relationship with the artist Duncan Grant. And he would live with her for more than 40 years, but often brought in other male lovers as well, including um, her brother, Adrian. And then she also ended up having a daughter with Duncan Grant and Clive to avoid the scandal claimed this daughter as his own and their daughter Angelica actually wasn't told that Duncan Grant was her father and not Clive Bell until she was 17 years old which must have been a shock (laughs) so yeah and this was kind of like what part of the the Bloomsbury group became known for which we'll talk a lot about in this section of relationships between all of them Um, They be the American Dorothy Parker actually quoted about the group and said that they lived in squares, painted in circles and loved in triangles because their love lives were just kind of messy and very confusing to like show how confusing it is. Vanessa Bell and her husband and then Grant and his partner at the time, David, who he nicknamed Bunny Garnett, moved out to a country farmhouse called Charleston altogether. Oh, okay. Yes. And then um, they were doing this a lot of the time to like avoid prison because of World War I and like all of the things that were going on then because they didn't want to participate in the war. Even though her and her husband never formally divorced or separated, he would visit Charleston for long stretches of time. Um, but I don't know if he was living there with them. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of confusing if he moved with them or if he didn't. Apparently, it was more of like a he was half there, half not kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't know exactly what the state of their relationship was at that point. <laughs> to show like how confusing this is, later on, Bunny, so David Bunny Garnett, who was mm-hmm. Grant's lover, ended up marrying Vanessa Bell and Grant's daughter
0: what okay. <laughs>
1: Despite the 20-year age difference and him having once been in love with her father.
0: Well, that adds even more to it.
1: So very confusing. And that was kind of what a lot of them became known for. Also, during this time period, Virginia and Vanessa kind of had their rivalry resurface because before Virginia was married, she flirted a lot with Clive and he reciprocated. It doesn't say how far that flirtation went, Um, but it yeah. went on for just under 10 years. And then on February 17th, 1909, a man named Linton Starchy proposed to Virginia and she accepted, but then he withdrew the offer. So don't know what was happening there. However, Leonard Wolfe, who had been one of Toby Stevens' friends at Trinity College, um, like we talked about, he recalled... Seeing both of these sisters in their white dresses and large hats with parasols in their hands, their beauty literally took one's breath away and said that to him they were silent, formidable, and alarming, which is an interesting description to be called beautiful as well as formidable in the same sentence, but very powerful. He met Virginia formally in November of 1904. And then ended up taking up a position in the civil service and left. So that's why he was gone throughout a lot of what was going on. And he remarked that she sat perfectly silent throughout the meal and looked ill. Which I don't know how that would bring someone to love. But apparently it did because he proposed and gave her an offer of marriage. And following in tradition, I guess after her mother and her sister, she didn't didn't reply. Oh, nice. (laughs) And then um he ended up dining with vanessa and clive bell ended up joining the bloomsbury group virginia asked him to join her for like a long weekend they started seeing each other more frequently and then he was like hey will you marry me again like i'm in love with you and she also refused once again (laughs) Anyway, he continued to pursue her regardless of her refusal, and she wrote him a letter explaining why she didn't favor the marriage. You can actually read the whole letter online if you really want to. But mainly she was just stating that she had never wished to be married and didn't really feel any physical attraction towards him. And even though she cared for him deeply, emotionally, and like really thought that they could be happy together. She even put at one point in the letter that marrying him could possibly give her everything she wanted, which Mm. is very sweet. She was worried that her lack of desire for sex would divide them and basically didn't want to ruin the marriage.
0: I feel like that takes a level of (laughs) self-awareness.
1: I know. Right. And this is where I kind of wonder if maybe a lot of that childhood abuse kind of came into play, you know? Yeah. Because on May 29th, so less than a month later, Virginia told him that she wanted to marry him, and they were married. Mm -hmm. And during this time, he actually first became aware of her mental state that was really precarious. But they completed their marriage in every way, even though Virginia had expressed her nervousness about that. She wrote in her diary that their marriage was so complete... And that she found enormous pleasure in being wanted and being a wife. So it seems like they really loved each other and really developed, like, a good relationship. Obviously, you can tell from all of these accounts that the Bloomsbury group encouraged very liberal sexuality. And this continued with Virginia Woolf as well. Um, It never officially stated that her and her husband had an open relationship, but mm-hmm. she had multiple relationships with women throughout her marriage as well. Um, I didn't find any records of her husband having any other relationships like Clive Bell did, but it's possible, especially because of the group that they all belonged to. I think it kind of was all allowed. Got it. Yes. So she had a relationship with a writer and gardener, Vita Sackville West who was actually married to a British politician named Harold Nicholson at the time. Okay. And Sackville West was a more successful writer during her lifetime, even though Virginia Woolf now is recognized as a superior writer. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until after her death that she became considered the better writer. So, yes, I think she kind of viewed Sackville West as more of a mentor to her. And they became fast friends and actually had a sexual relationship And this is where it's interesting. Apparently, Sackville West wrote a letter to her husband about their relationship and explained that it was only twice consummated. So (laughs) I don't know what kind of relationship they had either, but it seems like it was also very open. And eventually, instead of like the sexual relationship that they attempted, it evolved more into like a beautiful friendship. However, Virginia Woolf loved to brag about her affairs with other women within her intimate circle. So Mm. it was like a thing that she liked to talk about. Um, Sackville West ended up helping her out a lot, though, and raising her self-esteem. Apparently, when she was only 15, Virginia Woolf had been told by her father and doctor that reading and writing were going to contribute to her nervous condition and -hmm. that she needed to have a regimen of physical labor in order to prevent total nervous collapse. So she kind of became obsessive about engaging in physical labor, and Sakva West helped her kind of realize that that probably was a diagnosis and that reading and writing would help calm her nerves instead of making them worse. So she kind of helped her create this balance of like switching between reading, writing, spending time in physical activities instead of like treating reading and writing like it was the problem and then like obsessively exercising in order to like cure herself, which I don't know why that would ever be like a diagnosis anyway.
0: But it's very interesting how like
1: mental health, you know, like how
0: (laughs) it it being treated has just changed so much.
1: Yeah, it was really bad. As this whole story can attest, they did not know what they were doing. Vita Sackville-West's son actually wrote really charmingly about their relationship, though, and talked about how the effect of Vita on Virginia was like a wonderful thing, and that they like charmed each other and flirted with each other, and remained fast friends forever. So uh-huh. apparently, it was a very open thing. The family all knew that they, like, loved each other in many ways, and it was a wonderful thing. So I talked a little about about the Neo-Pagans. This was another group that they both became associated with during this time. Um, The Neo-Pagans believed in socialism, vegetarianism, and social nudity. So this was a thing that they also kind of ventured into. Um, The women wore scandalous clothes such as sandals, socks, and open-neck shirts, open neck shirts with headscarves which so scandalous virginia wolf kind of was involved in a lot of their activities for a while mm-hmm. um probably because a lot of i don't know like she just was interested in a lot of different things so she spent some weekends with them met a psychiatrist through them and she also met a lady named cox that we talked about cox is her nickname, who had been a part of the Friday Club Circle, that artist that we talked about earlier that Vanessa introduced her to. And they also began a relationship. Um, However, Ka was also in a relationship with a man. Okay, this is confusing as well. So it said triangular, but there's more than three people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There was a couple of people. So there was Ka, the artist, another man named Jax, Ravier and then Gwen Darwin, another woman, um, and they were all kind of involved in this relationship together. However, Virginia became really resentful of the other couple, Jax and Gwen, when they got married because she wasn't expecting that to be the case. Apparently, this kind of caused a lot of resurgence of how she felt with her like triangular triangular involvement with Vanessa and Clive earlier, like her sister and her mm. husband. And so it caused like a huge falling out between the friends and this like group of people. And um, Virginia would later express regret about the neo-paganism stage of her life. And also expressed extreme disappointment when Ka ended up marrying um, a man named William Edward Arnold Forster in 1918 and was actually really critical of her So, interesting. Lots of lovers and timelines going on there. And if you want to read more about all of those individual people, I'm sure they have extremely interesting Interesting. histories all on their own. Oh, one more note on the Bloomsbury Group. They participated in a thing called the Dreadnought Hoax in 1910. I did not have enough time to go and read about that. Apparently, it was like an elaborate prank that they pulled which oh. sounds extremely interesting and yeah. I'll probably post more about it on the Instagram or like make a reel or something cuz mm-hmm. I didn't have time but Virginia Woolf actually ended up dressing in it as a man so she like cross dressed as the subsidian royal for the pro for the prank okay. and uh, they were trying to like teach a lesson to somebody, so I don't know. I'm gonna have to read more about that, and I'm sorry that I'm leaving everyone hanging on that one. But no, but interesting. Yeah, so that's kind of what a lot of the Bloomsbury Group did. They like shared ideals. They had political things, and apparently they pro- pulled elaborate elaborate pranks.
0: We're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. <laughs> so. Today for Artist Spotlight, I am going to shout out a company that I love, Jewelry Company. It's awe inspired, and on Instagram, that's just AWE Inspired underscore. And they have the best jewelry. Um Stani is the one who introduced me to them because she has a yes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg coin. Mm-hmm. And I got a so I asked my husband for one for Christmas last year and I was like you pick out a goddess for me and he got me a Hera coin yeah I love it I wear it every single day
1: oh Um, that's so much
0: they're stunning honestly like I love it they have like collections of goddesses that you can get that I think originally they had you know just like Greek goddesses but Mm -hmm. now it's they have modern goddesses and they've expanded even more to like just all kinds of really cool, beautiful jewelry, like all know, in the name yeah. of just propping up inspiring women. And if I had, if I was given a million dollars, I think one of the first shops I would go to is this one.
1: Oh, for sure. I would a million
0: dollars, but any, you know, significant sum of money that I could spend would come here.
1: Oh, agreed. Yeah. It's cool. Cause they have like, they have Cleopatra, Florence Nightingale, yeah, Frida Kahlo, Joan of Arc, Persephone, Medusa, Artemis, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Harriet Tubman. Yeah, um, and then you were talking about the worship series, so they have like they have like
0: the Mother Mary, which I've mentioned is like a pendant I really want. I think are very mm-hmm.
1: beautiful. Lilith, Pachamama, Mother Earth. Oh yeah, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Which would be really cool, and Lakshmi, which I think goes in a, a Hindu. And okay. Yin. so lots of different religions are represented it, represented demographics oh they're such a cool company and they donate so many of their proceeds to charity yeah so i think that, like really when fun. you
0: place an order you get to pick which charity it goes to mm-hmm. which is so yeah. cool
1: they did a ton during like the black lives matter movement as well like their harriet tubman necklace they were donating i think literally everything that they made off of it that's to cool. yeah, the Black Lives Matter organization, and for Pride Month, they released. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say her name wrong, Martha Johnson, who was yeah. like a queer activist, transgender, um, supporter, yeah. and they did a coin for her.
0: So um, cool, yeah. I love this company. Donnie and I have talked about it, like Dream Collaborator. Like if we can get a Muse
1: coin oh, yeah, one I day. Know. Dream come true. That is our
0: biggest. I would cult. die.
1: I would die. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're amazing. They're like top tier. One of those brands that like I'll always look at and mm-hmm. celebrate and want to support, even totally. though I can't afford to buy everything. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: So yeah, check it out again. That's awe inspired. Cool. Um, I have another kind of. I guess it's like more of a community, but it's also. A board game which is interesting um it's called we're not really strangers have you heard (gasps) of them
0: yeah uh uh-huh i got my sister-in-law that game for christmas
1: oh good so it was started by um kareen is her username but it's not only a card game but she posts a ton of like i don't know thought-provoking posts and quotes on her instagram page i know they release merch too so they have like t-shirts They had, like, conversation starter sweatpants, so it had, like, topics that you could read from your sweatpant, like, pocket while you were sitting to, like, start a conversation. They just do a really good job of, like, talking about a lot of things, including, like, mental health and relationships and, I don't know, like, getting to know people deeper. Like, that's kind of what the whole thing behind it is, is that, like, we're not really strangers. Like, you know everyone more than you think you do, and... Mm. you can get to know them better so they have like a breakup kit for you to do like an extension of their card game so you can like do after your breakup by yourself not with the person you broke up with (laughs) i was like
0: can you imagine reaching out to your ex and being like hey i have some unresolved feelings let's play this card game in chat
1: (laughs) they (laughs) also have that would be Yeah, that would be really awkward. And they even say that, like, don't do it with the person you broke up with. (laughs) I mean, honestly, maybe it would be beneficial. (laughs) Maybe it would. They also have, like, an honest dating expansion pack, a healing one, a bunch of stuff. Like, they a self-love edition. So, yeah, I want to get the card game eventually. I haven't bought it yet. But it's just all about getting to know each other better. I got it for my sister-in-law for
0: Christmas and then we like after we all exchanged Christmas gifts we like played and asked each other questions and it like yeah it it facilitated like conversations that you know we it's hard to like for like conversations like that to like just come up naturally Mm -hmm. of course so it's like when it's in like a setting like that where you're having like talk about deeper things it's like oh you know this wouldn't have gotten it would have been harder for this to come up naturally in conversation so this is kind of
1: nice actually no exactly yeah Plus, it's just, like, a fun Instagram account to follow. Yeah, just a reminder, if you're following anyone that you want us to shout out or if you want to be shouted out, for sure, let us know. Send us a message or an email or whatever you want to do, and we'll make sure that we can give you anything that we possibly can to help promote you.
0: All right, now back to
1: the show. (laughs) So, this begins kind of the career talk. Sorry this is in chunks, guys. I'm trying here. So much information. (laughs) Virginia and her husband, Leonard, moved away from Bloomsbury in 1914 and began their own printing press and publishing house called Hogarth House. Where they lived around the same time this is when vanessa clive duncan grant and david garnett moved to the english countryside and we're all living together so vanessa started her um omega workshops that she was doing established by robert fry roger fry vanessa and her group started working on commissions and workshops and she started leading the omega workshops with her and grant they also she had her first solo exhibition With the Omega Workshops during that time in 1960. A lot of her art was linked to Duncan Grant. So he was her partner in art a lot. And I think in a lot of ways he could be considered more of a spouse to her than her husband was. Virginia and her husband, Leonard, started their publishing house in Hogarth House. And they realized that they weren't able to enroll in the School of Printing like they wanted to. They had a lot of problems they were running into, so they decided they were going to self-publish. So um, they both released different books. Their sis- uh, Her sister, Virginia, ended up helping out with a lot of the illustrations of the books. So she ran woodblock prints within their publications and added illustrations adorning pages of the text. She also did the covers, I think, of all of her sister's novels for the whole thing. Oh, cool. And one of the things that actually kept the printing press alive was um, the novels by Sackville West, who we talked about, um, Virginia's friend and lover. She was a writer, and so a lot of her books she decided to exclusively go through their publishing house and Uh ended up helping them keep everything alive. Apparently, Virginia was kind of, she was a little bit critical of the books that Sackville West was producing and wasn't really, like, happy about the fact that that's what their publishing house was doing, but it's what kept them afloat. So for a time period, they were depending entirely upon her for their income. income. So they really needed her, even though Virginia wasn't entirely thrilled. So she released multiple different novels during this time period, as well as her husband did too. They moved back to Bloomsbury and continued to run their press from the basement and released even more novels and lectures as well. She lectured at Cambridge For the women in fiction class, I think. And then um, shortly after that, she had a huge collapse of health. And this is kind of like towards the end of her career. She published her last novel. And then uh, with the onset of World War I, was kind of dealing with a lot because she was a huge pacifist. So she was not entirely happy with the way that things were going. And then her home actually ended up getting blown up during the blitz in september of 1940 which caused them to have to move to sussex and, and this was world war ii yes so vanessa bell on the other hand so while her sister was gaining some acclaim as an author enough to kind of keep them afloat but i think most of her fame came after her death um her sister was having her exhibitions and releasing artwork um, one thing that Vanessa Bell is known really well, well for is being able to balance the demands of motherhood, which she really liked, with that of her career, which is amazing because yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a successful attempt there that I really love, um, and she continued to be an active and professional artist throughout her life. So she founded those Omega Workshops, like I talked about, and they produced commercial projects like painting, ceramics, fabrics, furniture, stained glass designs, which is amazing, Mm -hmm. and all of it built upon the very popular post-impressionist style. And then for a while, she also experimented with complete abstraction, but then went back to figurative work eventually because that's just what she liked. A lot of her ideals was just rejecting Victorian narrative painting. And obviously a lot of feminism moved in there, even though her sister accused her of not being as much of a feminist. Yeah. They both very much so were (laughs) a part of their work within the Bloomsbury group, especially. Later on in her life, Belle um, would work with painting on walls, furniture, designing gardens. And this was all while working along Grant. Mm -hmm. But she was most well known for her landscapes, portraits, and her still lives. Um, She also traveled a lot and attended salons at Gertrude Stein's Paris home, uh, visited the studios of Matisse and Picasso, and while she became a well-known artist of her own accord, her reputation was always overshadowed by Grants, of course, the man. But for the most part, she seemed fine with the arrangement and actually played a very active role in trying to elevate Grant's work. Although once a journalist described her as Mrs. Duncan Grant, and she strongly objected to that and got very upset. Yeah, I think partially because, like, she wasn't married to him, so that was wrong. But also, like, she didn't want to be viewed as just an appendage of Duncan Grant
0: oh yeah that's true it's like literally that is not my husband so yeah
1: so um she made a lot of contributions and innovative works to design and artwork at the time and is by far one of the most celebrated painters of the bloomsbury group of course along with duncan grant um Mm -hmm. like i talked about they were commissioned to produce that dinner service piece for kenneth clark And his wife actually oversaw the project, which I thought was really cool. So Jane Clark, Mm -hmm. they produced the Famous Women Dinner Service, which was 50 plates painted with portraits of notable women throughout art history. Well, not art history, throughout history. And then um, after it was all created, eventually passed to a private collector and then passed out of public view until 2017 but then was exhibited in London in early 2018, which is amazing. And I think it's actually in a museum right now. Um, Also, she was uh, given commission to decorate the RMS Queen Mary ship in 1936. And they actually, they commissioned her to do a design for the Catholic chapel room, but then they found her design inappropriate. So then they assigned her a new room, (laughs) which is kind of funny. And then they um, later in her life, she actually was commissioned, along with Grant and her son and daughter, to create a painting for the Berwick Church in Sussex, which was funny because she wasn't religious at all. But yeah. she did it. So, yeah. Okay, now we're getting into the death and mental illness of it all. So, obviously, Virginia Woolf suffered with a lot of mental illness. Um, At the age of 13, following the death of her mother, she started dealing with periodic mood swings and severe depression and manic excitement, including psychotic episodes. And the family all referred to it as her madness, which wouldn't make you feel good. Psychiatrists today obviously believe it was bipolar disorder. But Mm. during the time period, they literally just said that it was extreme nerves. Like a doctor was like, oh, you just have extreme nerves. Which helpful, obviously didn't help a whole lot. So after her mother's death, that ended up causing a lot of problems and leading to this kind of deepening of it all. A doctor prescribed her regular walks, which were supervised by her older sister, Stella. But then two years later, Stella also passed away, which brought in another mental crisis for Virginia. And she kind of started having suicidal thoughts for the first time at this time period. Um, After the death of her father, she actually threw herself out of a window and was institutionalized. Sadly, the psychiatrist in the institution blamed her education, saying that, women should not be educated and that was why she was dealing with everything so sadly virginia Woolf struggled a lot throughout her life with like finding meaning for her mental illness she was always trying to find like the cause and like understand it mm-hmm. which makes sense because like if your brain's betraying you then you want to yeah, know I feel why like
0: that's like the whole thing of you know therapy is you go so you can figure out what's the root of all these responses in your life
1: Exactly. So, after she got married, they tried to, like, deal with it the best they could, like, consulting multiple different doctors. It sounds like her husband was extremely supportive of trying to figure out how to help her. Honestly, when her symptoms started, they would just put her in bed in a darkened room and give her plenty of milk until the symptoms subsided. I don't know why that helped, but that's what they did for a long period of time. Obviously, they believe a lot of it now could have been... Brought on by the sexual abuse she dealt with at an early age. Yeah. Um, which makes total sense. However, it also ran in the family. Like, her father apparently suffered from depression. Her half sister, Laura, like we talked about, was institutionalized. A lot of her symptoms were believed to have been those of her father as well. So she had like persistent headaches, insomnia, irritability, and anxiety. Me too. Mm-hmm. So, hey. But then she also placed a lot of pressure upon herself because of her work. And this was something that was interesting. First off, she believed that her illness could be brought upon because of her, rep- her repressed position in society as a woman, which was interesting. She wrote this passage in a room of one's own that if Shakespeare had had a sister of equal geni- genius, she would have certainly have gone crazed, shot herself, or ended her days in some lonely cottage outside the village, half witch, half wizard, feared and mocked at. So, it was kind of interesting with her talking about, how, like, oh, like, if you had to be overshadowed by the genius of your brother knowing that you're just as smart, like, like what that would that do a to a person? Yeah, mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of it could also have been contributed to the fact that she's... A victim of male medicine is what a lot of people have called it. They did not understand women at that time period. We talked about it a little bit in our fangirls episode that hysteria was considered like a female condition. Um, And so them just kind of summing up her illness as just nerves kind of shows like how little they were paying attention to actually what was happening to her. And then, yeah, like I talked about a little bit earlier with the onset of World War II, her house being blown up in the Blitz and just like a couple of other things, her late friend didn't look very, didn't react very kindly to um, her like a work that she had done and just like all this stuff was kind of happening her husband enlisted in the home guard and she disapproved because she was that huge pacifist like we talked about Um, and during this time period her diary actually shows that she was obsessed with death and that her mood just got darker and darker and darker um, and on May 28th of March oh wait on March 28th of 1941 she actually filled her overcoat pockets with stones and drowned herself oh my um, gosh Yeah, which is terribly sad and I think just shows the mental state that she was in. They didn't find her body until like almost a month later. And then her husband ended up cremating the rest of her remains and burying her under an elm tree in their backyard. Um, She actually wrote a suicide note, which I will not read. It was very sad, but it was very sweet in a lot of ways to her husband as well she basically told him like that she believed that them together knew the greatest happiness that you could ever know which is such a sad thing that was like literally her final words which is so heartbreaking to be like we've had the greatest happiness that was ever known and then I'll read just the last sentence I don't think two people could have been happier than we have been And that was literally how she ended it. She also talked a lot about, like, she didn't want to ruin his life any longer and felt like she was holding him back, which sucks. This kind of also caused some traumatic mental problems for Vanessa Bell. Mm -hmm. After her sister passed away and with everything that she had gone through, she kind of became a social recluse and just completely removed herself from society. Um, Which makes sense. Described, like, throughout her life, they described her as more socially reserved so she withdrew completely after that, and spent time with Grant, her children and grandchildren, and that was about it. Um, she continued on her work for a little bit, but then on April 7th of 1961, she had a brief illness that didn't get better and ended up passing away, and was buried in by her country home's churchyard. And then Duncan Grant was actually buried next to her when he passed away a couple of years later. So that's the two of them. I feel like there's a lot to unpack. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They both made like huge impacts, obviously, like their works and outlook of the Bloomsbury group and these two sisters alone would go on to influence literature, aesthetics, criticism, economics, feminism, pacifism, and sexuality as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the Bloomsbury group made a very big difference on the rest of how society continued. And obviously, like, we know Virginia Woolf made a huge impact, and then Vanessa Bell's artwork was, and her major influence in the Bloomsbury group continued to be a huge thing. So, it just was a very interesting time period that I still don't feel like I know enough about. I feel like it's
0: crazy just, like, seeing how they've just treated mental illness Cause it's like, even now, like there's a stigma still. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we're getting better. Like I've even thought like, even just in the last six years, like if I feel like if my social media feed and if people were open about like depression, the way that they are now, like six years ago, six, seven years ago, like, I feel like that really would have benefited me, you know? So like the fact that like in the last six years we're seeing so much improvement and then this is 200 years ago mm-hmm. or 100 whatever not 200 but you know what I mean like it's just crazy how little we knew about it you know
1: no they didn't know anything like they institutionalized her multiple different times um it's just it's so sad and it's sad mm-hmm. that like she spent so much of her life just trying to figure it out like, yeah. I can't imagine if I couldn't find an explanation for what happens in my brain a lot of the time. Like, that would suck. Like, you'd literally just think you were going mad and that everyone around you is completely normal. sane and you're just yeah. losing it. Because, yeah, it's not fun. Like, very <laughs> Funnily enough, I forgot to take my pills yesterday. So I woke up this morning and was like, what's wrong with me? Actually I say that loosely. Woke up. I didn't sleep last night. Okay. (laughs) And then ended up sleeping this morning after I went on a two mile walk to try and calm my brain down before I took my pills. Oh my goodness. So like I can't even imagine like what it would be like To deal with something even more severe. Like, I have severe anxiety, but she had, like, what they believe to be bipolar disorder. But who knows? Mm -hmm. And it's just so sad to think about how hard that must have been and how alienating it would have felt. Yeah. And even to have it run in your family and yet, like, have nothing to do about it. Like, her father obviously dealt with it, too. And then he's like, oh, it's just nerves. Like, him and the doctor. It's just
0: fine. Everything's fine.
1: You're just nervous. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I talked about it, but she also considered it to be, like, an essential part of her artwork, which I think mm-hmm. didn't help out a lot. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, like, how people have this weird idea of, like, tragedy being an essential formula for great artwork. Art,
0: yeah, like, you have to be sad and you have to draw from those, like, depressed feelings.
1: And it would be really hard to, like, overcome mental illness if you considered it an essential part of your success and her sister they even said that in her stuff too with Vanessa Bell they were like but she used her pain in her art and it's like okay like first off art's a great coping mechanism but you should Mm -hmm. never like treat it like pain should never become an essential part for anything that you have to create
0: like that's not a good like that's a way that you can like trap yourself
1: yeah because I'll be like okay if you felt like you needed to have a breakup every year in order to write a good song
0: yeah how can a marriage survive that yeah
1: it wouldn't and you would never Uh have a stable relationship because you like constantly would feel the need to have some like great emotional trauma in order to pull from
0: yeah oh my goodness i can't think of the song there's a julia michaels song where she like has a lyric about that it the song's called happy because as a songwriter i mean that's something that like i heard of a lot of it's like oh once you're this and this and this and this you know like are you gonna be able to write songs what are you gonna write songs about and i joke i mean i joke about it with jordan of like oh i have to pull from past experiences because you're the most stable happy thing in my life that it's Mm -hmm. like where's the drama in that but then i've also remarked that like because now i finally do have something that's stable and good in my life now i'm actually Able to create the art about it. Like, I could never create art when I was in those really dark mental states. In fact, like, there's like whole years of my life where, like, I just really couldn't write anything because, like, I don't know, I cannot do it when (laughs) I am not emotionally well. But the lyric of this song is, it's the chorus of it. And I love this song so much. It's sometimes I think I kill relationships for art. I start up all this stupid. (laughs) shiz to watch him fall apart I pay my bills with it I watch him fall apart and pay the price for it I watch him fall apart and she's like oh um, but I just want to be happy and it's like yeah like I think that's such a like it's a process as an artist to like have that recognition you know and like now she her more recent album is all about this beautiful, loving relationship state and stable relationship that she's in now. So it's like cool to see her progress as an artist of like, she's starting out like, you know, talking about how she self-destructs in relationships and then how she's became self-aware that that's what she was doing. And now she was able to be in a very good situation. So I don't know. That's kind of like a way you can see that happening almost in lifetime with the songs that she wrote and when she wrote them, you know what
1: I mean? No, I completely agree. I actually like. I was gonna say, um, the first part of like my divorce was the mm-hmm. hardest time period I've ever had trying to create anything. Yeah, like I would sit down and I would be like, I like I can't do anything. And a lot of my projects from that time period, I hate. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And it was like, I just didn't feel creative at all. And it wasn't until I got past that little hurdle that it was like, okay, okay, okay. And obviously, um, it happened before I got officially divorced. So that was like a year ago, over a year ago. But yeah, like, I would say that... Being like mentally stable does more for me creatively than being emotionally traumatized ever has. <laughs> no, I
0: yeah, like I said, like I know how well I'm doing emotionally by how much I'm re- songwriting. Mm-hmm. Like that, well, if I'm like, huh, I haven't writing a song in a while. It's like, oh, time to check in. <laughs> like time to yeah. do a self check of how are we coping, Sadie? And it's like oh, okay, I, oh, thank you for reminding me. It's time to, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I can,
1: that's the barometer I could use. That's what's kind of funny about, like, a lot of people um, keep saying that, like, Taylor Swift's folklore and evermore must not be fiction and that she's, like, pulling from personal experiences. And it's, like, maybe, but maybe she's just actually, like, emotionally stable enough that she can do something creative without having to pull from trauma.
0: true. And like I said, with like the music I'm releasing and like will be releasing, I'm like finally writing songs about a period in my life where I was very severely depressed. Granted, I'm not singing about my depression. I'm not singing songs about mental illness. Yeah. But it took a long time to be even able to write songs about that, like events in that period of my life because it took some revisiting you know but like the fact that like i can do that now is like oh okay like we did it <laughs> like not like we like obviously it's an ever going process but it's like that was the thick of it and we mm-hmm. are out of the thick of it
1: yeah no exactly i completely agree Like i think we've mentioned it before i think a lot of great art can come from pain yeah. but i don't think that it necessarily needs to be created within it
0: and also, too, it's like it's so OK if it doesn't, because I during those times where like I am or was emotionally like unwell, I'd get so down on myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, you think you're a songwriter, but you're not writing any songs and this and this and this. Like, you're so lazy. You're so this. You're so this. When it's like, OK, hold on. Like, let's have a little bit of compassion here. Yeah, for exactly. Ourselves. Like we're going through it. Like the mm-hmm. last thing. That, like, you can physically do sometimes is to exert more mental energy into creating something, you know? Yeah.
1: No, I'm trying to remember. This just came to my mind, and I, like, I don't know if I'd be able to find it again. I was reading a thing about Van Gogh. Hopefully this is correct. If I'm wrong, someone can totally correct me, okay? However, I think that a lot of people like to romanticize the idea of Vincent Van Gogh and his mental illness, right? Because... Yeah, He created great artwork, but we all know he dealt with a lot of mental illness. And he also was actually, surprisingly, around the same time period and ended his own life. However, I was reading a thing about how most of his greatest artwork came from during, like, the more stable parts of his life. So Mm -hmm. when he was institutionalized and receiving help is when he painted Starry Night. Like, most of his greatest artworks were when he was actually stable and yet, we we connect his art with his mental illness, when in yeah. reality, it was like the moments that he was doing better that some of those greatest artworks come he was from. Able
0: to create, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that's something that we tend to do as a society. Like we continue to make like mental mm-hmm. illness romanticized within art. Like we yeah. treat it like it's this necessary thing in order to make sure that you produce the greatest artwork that you've ever done
0: yeah Um, which i think creates you know like this you know people thinking that like oh this is a part of my artistry and then also creates this pressure that when you aren't doing well that you still need to be creating because all the greats did it when it's like no no just get better like just focus on getting better Then you can go back to your art. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And there's definitely a pattern of like artists having mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they've ever done a study on why. I honestly just think it's because when you're mentally ill, your brain works differently. And so maybe it's easier to have creative thoughts because it's different. Yeah. Because your brain doesn't work normally anyway. I don't know. Or like you,
0: (laughs) maybe like early on, like you start seeking out. Like, ways of expression because you Mm -hmm. need it. I don't
1: know. Or, like, alternative coping mechanisms because most people don't get diagnosed as young as they could, probably. I don't know. I definitely could have been on anxiety medication in high school, but I wasn't. So, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. But basically, you don't have to be mentally ill to create good art. And probably when you're saddest, don't, like, push yourself to create the gross like, the next Great American Novel, because it will probably come when you're happy.
0: Which, like, I'm speaking as some expert. I don't know. We're figuring it out every day, aren't
1: yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. But, yeah, those are the Steven sisters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a lively discussion on More Than amused today.
1: I know. I hope that whole timeline made sense.
0: I really knew nothing about her, so... I'm glad that I do now and now I'm like maybe I should read one of her books because like I know the name like I know she's a big deal author I just Mm -hmm. haven't done anything about it kind of like we talked about with like Jane Austen where it's like I know I should read the books but I just haven't (laughs) except I have now I have read Pride and Prejudice since that episode
1: I know me too Um,
0: I googled Virginia Woolf books just because you know I wanted to know what they were and um one of the questions like the top questions is why is it hard to read virginia wolf and i was like what (laughs) so i clicked on the answer it's like virginia wolf is not the easiest author to get into her works are heavy on imagery and she often utilizes stream of consciousness to bury the reader in a flood of thoughts and emotions which can be tough to deal with (laughs) nice so now i'm like i want to read a book and be like wait what
1: i think i would kind of like that
0: yeah that's what i'm wondering
1: yeah though it is hard to keep up with the plot when they do that but still yeah obviously there's tons of books on them and the bloomsbury group in general there's so many ways to learn about both of them there's a wealth of information there if you are so inclined and i'm gonna do my best to like highlight some of their works on the podcast since we didn't really get a chance to talk about a lot of that kind of hard to
0: on the instagram
1: yeah, Instagram. Ugh, I can't even speak today.
0: That's good. I uh, I uh, called in sick to work today,
1: actually, because
0: I needed a mental health day. So yeah. it, it was a good
1: timing for this episode. I know I walked upstairs and my parents were like, what are you doing up at six in the morning? And I was like, I didn't go to sleep. They're like, um...
0: We're doing fine. <laughs>
1: we're doing so good.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today and just following us along on this journey of talking about our feelings. We're
1: Hopefully. doing okay, guys. We hope Hopefully. you are too.
0: I, yeah, I hope you're doing okay too. If you've been having an off week, just know you're not alone. Yeah, we are. Sounds all like in it's this. in the it's in the air. <laughs> Anyways, if you're a fan of the podcast, you want to subscribe, leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram, which would be helpful to see, especially yes. when we talk about visual artists. That's always great to get that pairing. So check out the Instagram, which is More Than a Muse Podcast.
1: Yeah. And then we also have a TikTok. And yeah, we love all of you very much. Thanks for listening and being here. We're almost at 5,000 downloads, so we just appreciate all of you a lot.
0: I know. I'm excited.
1: Yeah. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Hey, podcast listener.